Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help. Legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 322 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we looked at collaboration in hybrid or mixed work environments to give you a look into some of the big takeaways from our new book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, uh, the Work From Home Edition. In this episode, we wanted to talk about where collaboration actually fits into your technology stack, as we'll call it, and we'll explain that term, and why we believe that most organizations are not giving enough consideration to what we call the collaboration layer of their technology stack. Remember, we are collaborating with others all the time, and we best get good at it. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be sharing some insights into the idea of the collaboration layer of your technology stack. In our second segment, we're going to return to our hot or not segment and debate the uh, infamous and much-awaited Twitter edit button or feature, and maybe Twitter in general in 2022. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we would like to announce the publication of a fabulous new book for anyone in law using technology, and that's just about everyone in legal profession and everyone who interacts with the legal profession, and that is the latest edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Work From Home Edition. It's out and available for for order. We've included a link in the show notes. In this episode, we want to look at collaboration from a slightly different angle, um, and that's your own technology stack. When we talk about collaboration tools, we aren't just talk up, talking about buying or using new technology. We're talking about taking a look at the tools you already use and discovering the capabilities you have in and among and between them. So um, where do we want to get started, Dennis? Do you want to start us off with uh, what we mean by technology stacks and layers, as you put it? Yeah, I, I sort of I become fond lately of thinking of uh, the technology stack, uh, which is probably might be better to say just mapping out what your technology is. And, it, and you know, it's applicable in a, a number of ways. But there's this idea that you have this this stack of of technology and it's built up on on different layers. So you've hardware, you have software, you have internet, uh, but you also have uh, layers of applications. And, and you sort of think of the whole thing when you map it out as as a stack. And and that's basically what I'm talking about. I just think it's sort of a useful uh, metaphor. Tom, am I in the ballpark there? Or do we need to clean that up a little bit? No, you're mostly in the ballpark. So the reason why I get a little hung up when I think of the term technology stack is is that if you go out and look for a formal or a traditional definition of a tech stack, I'm going to give you what I found on one website. 
um, because for me, I know enough about technology to be dangerous, but hearing this just makes my mind hurt. It's a combination of technologies that a company uses to build and run an application or project. The tax stack typically consists of programming languages, frameworks, a database, front-end tools, back-end tools, and applications connected via APIs, all of which sounds correct. I just don't totally understand how that works and how to apply it in the law firm environment. Dennis, you can think about that more and and maybe give a response to that in a second. That doesn't work for me in the context that we're using in this podcast. So instead, I'm going to use another definition that I like better, which is that a tech stack is a collection of tools, platforms, apps, and pieces of software that a company uses to carry out its business operations, build products, and measure its success. So I think of it more in terms of discrete tools that you use and not necessarily um, back-end databases or um, a, a web interface to, to, to meet up with something and a front-end versus a back-end tool, I think more of the discrete tools that, uh, that we as lawyers use on an everyday basis to work with those things. Right. And, and I think that it's, uh, so to me, the term stack is applicable, as you said, and, and I, I can build it, say, here's what my hardware stack is. I have, you know, like network servers and I have, uh, you know, laptops connected to it and devices and phones and all these things. You can do it with software. You can do it with your network. We've talked in the past in, in podcasts about the internet operating system, which has a number of, of layers uh, and and you, you see it elsewhere. So I, I see it as I'm mapping out my technology in sort of a logical way. So I understand it um, and to say, it's built on layers in almost in a pyramid type of shape is how I, I tend to think of it and say, here's this base layer that, you know, is, is that sort of network that you're running on and you kind of move up the stack to more and more discrete applications that have uh, s- specific uh, purposes. Um, and then I, I think those, those stacks just kind of uh, lie on top of each other but uh, I, I do think that there are some layers that might overlap or interconnect, and that's where I think the, uh, the collaboration tools really, really come into play there. Well, my other difference here is that I have trouble conceptually thinking of the term layers when I think about this, because when I think of a tech stack as being a collection of tools and apps, um, each of the tools plays a different function and may connect with each other, but I view those less as layers and more as modules or components of the stack and not necessarily a layer because, uh, yeah, I, th- that's just not a term that I would that I feel comfortable using. Um, I, I like the term stack and it makes sense to me, but I think I just view it in a slightly more simplistic way. Um, that helps me conceive of what it is, but I really think it is your technologies and and you know as we're talking about today what we find that it gets overlooked frequently is the fact that certain components pieces of the layer uh, pieces of the stack whatever will have collaboration functions or capabilities that can or should be working with other parts of your layers or stacks or whatever we're going to call it and and we're not taking advantage of those enough we're just not enabling them or using them to their fullest capacity Um, and so I would argue that 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 your tech stack is probably not working at its full functionality that it could be working for you 
But I, I think the thing is the the idea with kind of visualizing your tech stack is you get a a good sense of everything you have and how it works together. But I think it's important at this point, Tom, clearly to give some kind of example. And so, uh, one of the things that prompted this podcast is I sketched out the other day something I called the law department tech stack. And I, I did this as simple, you know, in as simple a way possible as you will uh, see in some of the names that I, I gave the layers. So I start out with what I call the uh, very technical term here, the invisible infrastructure layer, which is sort of all the, the network, everything that we, we actually don't see that's necessary for things to run. Then I said we have this desktop layer, which is what we as the, uh, the legal professionals actually see. Uh, there's something I call the production creation layer. So you can think of we're producing documents, so Microsoft Word, that sort of thing. Uh, I think there's a management layer that uh, where how we track workflow. I think there is a collaboration layer. I think of then I think we go up into higher functions. Uh, so an analytics layer. So like how do we how do we evaluate what we're doing? Come up with key performance indicators or KPIs, those sorts of things. So analytics. Um, and then I think a business decision layer, typically evidenced by a dashboard. And then I think there's a communications presentation layer. Um, so how do we send out information um, in ways that other people can understand? And so I put those together. And then as I started to do that pyramid, I realized that the collaboration actually kind of loops through all, all those different layers. So, um, and, and, this, the, and obviously, Tom, I, I thought about this with the law department in mind and the functions that a law department needs, uh, which may be different than, than other people. So um, that's one, one type of, of, of stack. You might have some comments on that, Tom, or um, you might have some uh, ways that you think about stacks when, uh, that you see when you're working with your clients. Well, so the challenge that I have with your description there is is the notion that I can accept that every everything that you call being a layer, except for the collaboration piece of it, and it's for the reason that you said there at the end, that you were noticing that collaboration is looping through all of it. To me, if collaboration is a layer, then it is separate and apart, and they're all, they all seem to be separate and apart from each other is how I look at that. And to me, there are collaboration aspects to all the things you just described. And so, and so I, that's why using it as a term, in the term layer doesn't work for me. When I think about, when I think about um, the clients that we work for, Again, I think about it in a much more simplistic way, and I, I I don't think in terms of the broader categories that you have, but more in terms of the functions that people uh, want to do. So, for example, um, the corporations I work with, the marketing department, their tech stack might include email software. Uh, it might include chatbot software. It might include a content management system. It might include lead generation and analytics tools. So I think that it's covering the same types of layers that you're talking about, but I'm thinking of it more in terms of a platform or application centric rather than from a function centric. You know, a sales department stack would include a CRM software, customer relationship management software, would have call tracking software, would have meeting scheduling tools. It would have 
have video recording and those types of things. And that's what I think about when I think of a tech stack is what are the functions of this group and what technologies do we need in order to accomplish these functions. And for me, the collaboration layer or whatever is the fact that a lot of these tools can and should be able to work together or there should be there should be functions within them that allow you to work from one system to another to share information with people and and so that these aren't always siloed tools that are working together but they are things that you can use to carry on the business of the department both with other people and by yourself. So I think of collaboration being not just people working with each other, but the tools working with each other as well. And, and I like the visual component, is, as you were saying in, in your example, Tom, that once you start to visualize this in, in terms of, of a stack, you can sort of see what missing, what might be missing, what, how things relate to each other. I think when I, in the higher levels of my stack, I see them as reaching down into lower levels to, you know, to pull out the information they need to uh, display in certain ways. So, you know, if you're, if you have a dashboard, it's reaching down and pulling things pulling things out in a, in a different way. But you're right. I, I, when I thought of collaboration, I'm like, I couldn't figure out exactly where to put it. And maybe it needed to be, uh, uh, you know, several layers. And then then I really hit on the the metaphor that it was more like a connective tissue all throughout, as, as you were saying, that the collaboration part these days is what kind of connects everything. And if you start to think of it in those terms, then you look at all the components of what your stack is and say, hmm, am I using the collaboration elements, uh, the collaboration features of of what's in that stack, of those programs, of that, you know, how uh, of those modules and and using uh, using them to their fullest. And uh, by seeing that collaboration as part of the stack, whether you're weaving it through or having it as a layer or two, um, I think that helps you think through collaboration and where where it fits. And if you don't, I, I think these days there's so much collaboration that's necessary and that's available. That if you don't think it through and implement it well, you can be in a in a bad place, even though you s- sort of have good intentions. Uh, but maybe that's the subject for after the break, Tom. No, I think I think you're right, and I'll just say that. Um, if you miss that collaboration element throughout your stack, I think that you tend to work more in silos. People have to use tools in different ways to see what you're doing. Um, you're probably less productive because you aren't using the tools together, instead using them separately. I think that productivity and a lot of other things suffer um, if you miss out on that collaboration element. But we will cover a little bit more of that in our next segment. Uh, but before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures. 
all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com simple. And we are back. Tom, let's talk about some practical ways our listeners can start to think about their current and future tech stack and where collaboration now fits into it as compared to uh, where it actually should. Would you start us off? Yeah, so I think that you and I are going to have almost the same answer to this, but maybe using different language. And the way that I would think about this is I think you're going to talk a lot about mapping, and I'm going to talk more in terms of an audit. Um, But I think we get to the same place eventually, um, which is to say, first of all, what are your business processes? Look at the very bottom, the basic stuff of what you're doing. You know, delivery of legal services, marketing and lead generation, billing and finance, human resources. Some of those are the big business processes in a law firm. And then determine... What apps, what platforms, what technologies each of the teams that owns those processes use on a daily basis? Figure out how they help the team work together. Figure out what types of collaboration capabilities are there. Does it meet the team's needs currently? Or are there functions or features that are existing that can be used? Then you're doing a gap analysis. Audit usually will take a gap analysis into account as well. What are what are ways that people could better be using these tools to work together? So, uh, you know, for example, having your CRM system share information whenever a client asks for information about the firm, let people know that so-and-so just asked for that information. So in case there's a, a, some knowledge there that somebody can do, that that's a good point for people to understand. Um, or even a bit more basic example, um, the ability of your document management software to create a workflow that enables you to pass a document from one team member to another for review or continued creation of a document without having to email it or send a link or anything, something that just automatically occurs, things that you're missing to better work together. And I think you're probably going to want to talk to the members of your team to see what they think is missing in collaboration and then either enable those features, um, look at whether new tools are required to create that connective tissue, or find ways to make the the tech stack, the tools of your tech stack work better together. So that's kind of my overall, I would put it more in terms of an audit. I think you may have a different terminology, but I think we're kind of getting at it from the same place, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's audit and assessment. I, I, what I like about this stack is it is a visual metaphor. So I, I think what can be helpful is is this doing these simple mapping exercise. Say, like, let's figure out what's there, um, and let's kind of map it, and let's let's kind of think through how things you know relate to each other what supports something else what's you know what's on top what's on bottom that you know that that sort of thing uh just kind of start simple get the big overview um it's tempting i think just to start with your own personal tech stack i mean that's that's why i did i did to say okay so what what is it that i have i have some hardware and i have some software and i have some cloud services and i'm trying to do different things and um, i have the second 
brain uh, thing set up in Notion and where does that fit? And if I can sketch that out, I can, uh, for me, I can see uh, what's there and what's missing and, and maybe where I don't have things kind of organized in the right way. So I think you can do that on your own. I, I think if you're in any organization, your IT department should be able to basically do this for you. Um, and if if they can't or they say they can't, that would raise some big questions for me because that's to me, that's sort of part of their job is that they they need to understand everything that's going on. So you may be able to get a lot of the, the information you need just from your IT department and then to start to to play with it. And then, Tom, I think you, you said it is like once you kind of establish those layers in that map, then. Then you need to, these days, I think you just have to figure out where and how collaboration fits in. And if you're not seeing it and you can't draw it in there or it's not part of your audit in, in the way that, that you might do it, Tom, you just have to ask really hard questions uh, uh, about why it's not there. I agree. I, I think the only difference of opinion I would have with you on this is that I, I agree that I agree that your IT department should be able to provide this for you. My only fear is that whatever IT provides for you is so highly technical that it's hard for you to really understand what you're looking at. Uh, is that they tend to go very technical? Maybe I'm maybe I'm overblowing that too much, but I feel I feel like you and your teams doing their own analysis of what you have. Now, granted. You all may not know what you have. That's why working with IT is probably is sometimes a good idea, and you may not know all of the tools that you have. So I would, at the very least, um, encourage a collaboration between you and IT. Maybe not ask them to do it alone and provide it to you, but maybe find a way to make sure that the, the output you get from IT um, is user-friendly and is designed for a layperson to understand exactly what part is what and as well, because I, I, I worry that if it's too technical, then it makes it harder for you to try and figure out where collaboration comes in. Where does it fit in in this place? So it needs to be something that is easy for the users to take a look at and understand and then make some good judgment calls about where collaboration fits in in any part of that stack. And that's, I, I think, you know, one of my suggestions is that's where you go, uh, you know, you go Columbo and say, like, I, you need to explain this to me in a, in a way, that, a simple way so that I can, you know, I, I can understand it and I just have one, one more question and those sorts of things. But, um, and, and you're right, you just have to work together and say, like, this benefits everybody if we can kind of get this all mapped out in, in a simple way that people can understand. Then I think you go on to seeing where the collaboration connective tissue uh, is missing. And to me, that is in 2022, 2023, where you have collaboration features and uh, that collaboration connective tissue missing is where your your short-term and long-term tech strategy has to be focused. Because I think, you know, uh, the subtitle of the book, Time is Smart Ways to Work Together, I, I you know, we could the subtitle could have been Make It Easy for People to Work With You, because uh, that's where I think we have to be in, in this day and age. And I think that's a good way to wrap up this segment. So let's move on to our next segment. But before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. 
Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. It's time for the segment we like to call Hot or Not. We pick a tech topic in the news and discuss whether it's hot or not. We might agree, we might disagree, but you'll get our insights and perspectives on the topic. And you are welcome to suggest future Hot or Not topics to us. Once again, there's plenty of talk about Twitter adding an edit button to allow you to make changes after you have posted a tweet. Lately, it seems like there's a lot of positive comments and interests in this edit button, even though it's a very limited edit and will probably be part of a paid subscription. Tom, I actually don't even know how many times over the years that Twitter has seemed to be close to adding this edit functionality. So I really don't know what to expect this time. Do you think a Twitter edit button is hot or not? So... First, let's understand exactly what Twitter's offering for those of you who haven't been paying attention to the to the news. They rolled out and it is rolled out. It actually exists in the wild somewhere, a new edit tweet feature that lets some users modify a tweet within the 30 minutes following the tweet's publication and only a quote few times They can only edit it a few times within that 30 minutes. Unclear what a few times means, but it's probably not unlimited editing. Now, for now, the service will be limited only to Twitter Blue members, which requires a subscription. Um, And initially, it's just localized to a single country, and that country is New Zealand. Some of the articles talk about it being in U.S., Canada, and others. I'm not sure where they got that information. Twitter themselves said we are limiting it to one country, and other stories have said that that one country is New Zealand. But it will be rolled out to more countries later. Anyway, with that said, do we care about the edit feature? I don't. I really don't. I don't tweet that often. I am typically, I try to be fairly thoughtful about what I do. I mean, I think that when you have a limited number of characters and you're trying to make that and you're also trying to make sure that you don't, you want to make sure that you don't cause flame wars, that you don't get people trolling you because of what you say. um, That has, I have been conditioned on Twitter to be thoughtful about how I compose my tweets. And so I don't generally worry about typos or saying the wrong thing, but... I do think it'd be nice to have an undo feature in the rare case that I make a mistake. So do I care enough about it to consider that it's hot for me? No, the answer is no. I think most people who would use the feature want it to correct typos, rephrase things that might be interpreted, 
update tweets as things change, of course, over the course of 30 minutes. I'm not sure how useful that is. But I can also absolutely see people who will manufacture a tweet that goes viral, and then they'll abruptly edit that tweet to include some really terrible content that now millions and millions of people are going to see. I can see that this edit feature can be used for bad things, easily used for bad things. Um, you know, another issue, I think, is third-party apps. I haven't used the actual Twitter app in forever. I prefer TweetBot on my iPad. I know a lot of people still use TweetDeck, which is actually a Twitter product. Um, although Twitter has been talking nice to developers lately, and they seem to indicate that the edit feature is coming to these apps, I'm not optimistic. They really haven't rolled out many features to these apps. They've kind of left the developers out in the cold, and I don't know that that's going to change any. I may be wrong, but I'm skeptical based on past history. A lot of people have been asking for this for a long time. So although for me, the edit feature may just be lukewarm for a lot of people, I think it's hot, hot, hot. Dennis. I agree with you that for some people, they find it hot and they have almost since the beginning of Twitter think that it would be like a great thing to have. I I look at it and I go, to me, it's, it's like, what, you know, is it a bug or is it a feature? I actually like the fact that you can't edit for, you know, for a number of reasons. Like if I, if I see I've made a typo, I just delete the tweet and retweet it. It's not a big deal. And, and you're right. Like, I'm not that concerned about typos. I make enough of them and it's like part of my, you know, my account's personality. So I'm okay with that. With that. The thing that does concern me and why I think that Twitter has, has backed away from the edit button for a long time is that somebody could tweet something. There's a whole bunch of conversation, retweets, other things like that. They go back and change it to something completely different. And that's not a place that's very satisfying for anybody. You know, so if you say uh, somebody tweeted this and you go, they were wrong on this and they should have thought about this or, or you call them names or whatever the people want to do and then they change it to something else and then somebody goes back and looks at it. You, you as the retweeter or commenter or replier, you know, look like you're the crazy one, you know, cause, and people are wondering like, why did that do that? Uh, you know, so I, I think there, you think that the, the edit button has some value and that's why I think people think that it's hot. I, I think that it, it makes Twitter way different to me. And I actually prefer the, uh, the not having the, the edit button, you know, I, I'll be embarrassed for, by typos from, from time to time. That's okay. That's okay with me. Um, so whether on the hot or not, I, I think it's you know, like a, there's a, a group of people uh, who think it's hot. Um, and then when I wrote this script, which seems like just a week ago, Tom, that uh, this was like really hot, getting a lot of attention on Twitter. And now, like, I don't even see anything about it. So I'm going to go with it's It's cool. And that probably um, the rollout. The wide rollout of this, we'll probably be talking about it coming about a year from now still. So I think it's going to be, I put this in the cool category. So now it's time for our parting shots at one tip, website, or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So um, in my personal life, we've been thinking and dreaming about where we next will live. Um, we're, gonna, we're not going to live here in Dallas forever. Where will we go? And I found this site that is actually kind of cool called MoveMap. 
movemap.io. And what it does is, is it allows you to filter out the best place to live based on your criteria. So you can tell it whether you want to rent or buy, how much you want to pay in monthly rent, uh, what you want your state tax burden to be. Do you want the mountains or the oceans to be within an hour or three hours of where you are? Do you care? What temperatures do you want? What demographics? How populous do you want it to be? What the politics are? Do you want progressive, conservative? What do you want it to be like? Are there hazards you want to avoid? And once you go through all of that, it will list out for you all the counties in the country that match your criteria. Um, I just have been doing it, and I've narrowed it down to 37 countries, um, counties, excuse me, 37 counties (laughs) in the United States um, that match my criteria, both of which happen to be on both the West Coast and the East Coast, because I want to be around oceans and mountains, apparently. So uh, it's, I think, a very interesting way to kind of narrow things down and maybe learn about counties you didn't know about, things that uh, that have their options out there that uh, you didn't know, but um, it's an interesting, uh, an interesting exercise in uh, learning about places around you based on what's important to you and where you want to live. Dennis. Yeah, I found that too, Tom. I, I like that uh, kind of uh, illustrated to me how I'm comfortably in the, in the Midwest. Uh, I wish they had <laughs> a few more factors and they were like a little bit uh, more refined, but it's, it's yeah. fun. And, and I think that, that it, uh, if you're starting that process where you're thinking, Oh, here's some place I want to move. Um, and you know, as, uh, there's certainly, you know, a number of people thinking long-term about climate change and whether that might cause them to move. Um, this is like an interesting little tool to, to, to play with. To get started. So I have, what I have is uh, something Tom is actually kind of responsible for. So the uh, Legal Technology Resource Center's uh, roundtable uh, discussion on the Law Technology Today blog was on personal knowledge management uh, recently in in August, and so uh, there was about half a dozen people weighing in on uh, what they were doing for personal knowledge management, the tools they used, and and I think that if you're uh, especially in the legal setting, but but anywhere else. It's a, kind of a nice discussion of of some of the options that are out there and and how people are dealing with uh, that thing we like to call information overload. Yeah, that was a lot of fun uh, to put that together. So. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes of for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for this show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, uh, or in your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn or on Twitter. You can always leave us a voicemail. That number is 720-441-6820. We'd love to get your message, uh, whether it's to for our B segment or just to shout out and say hey. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.